You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. My wife and I kind of look at each other and say, yeah, he's, he's here to teach people. He's here to shine the light in a very positive way on kids and people that are like him and, and maybe not like everybody else and what they can bring to the table as opposed to what they can't bring to the table. I think everybody's got a story to tell, you know, but when you're living your life, you don't really think it's anything special or anything different. Every now and then you might notice that maybe you have maybe a, someone might have a few more bumps in the road than others, but really it's what I know, it's all I know, and, you know, we're surrounded by these wonderful people, and, you know, we just, we do what we need to do, and we're not given anything that we can't handle, I don't think, so. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Sea Bags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter, Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. Show number 122, airing for the first time on Sunday, January 12, 2014. Today's show is titled Differently Abled, and our guests include Scott Wenzel, Marketing Director at Thomas Mosier Cabinet Makers, and Charlie McBrady of Zachow Construction, both of whom are on the Morrison Center Board of Directors. Each of us has access to a different set of attributes, skills, talents, and physical characteristics. For some of us, the attributes are more readily apparent than for others. This is especially true of individuals who were, in the past, referred to as handicapped. We now understand these individuals to be differently abled and often capable of accessing attributes that many of us have never even considered, largely as a result of learning to work with the world. Today's guests, Scott Wenzel and Charlie McBrady, have experienced this firsthand through their experiences raising differently abled sons and through their work on the Morrison Center Board of Directors. We hope that our show causes you to think a little bit about people who are differently abled in this world and your interactions with them, and perhaps how you might be differently abled yourself. Thank you for joining us. I met our next guest at um, an art opening for Art Collector Maine through Thomas Mosier, which I think a lot of people will recognize as being one of Maine's top furniture makers in the state, and actually it's national now. This individual, Scott Wenzel, is actually in marketing with Thomas Mosier, but perhaps equally important is also on the board of directors with the Morrison Center, and probably more importantly is um, father to Scotty Wenzel, who is celebrated his 13th birthday. That's correct. And brings a really interesting sort of story into the world. So we thought we'd have Scott Wenzel come on and talk about Scotty Wenzel and his um, adventures with Scotty and with his wife, Lisa. Thanks for being with us today. My my pleasure. Scott, you didn't really, um, you weren't really thinking that your life was going to kind of turn out the way that it did. When it when it came to having a child who has the syndrome, Dubowitz syndrome, correct, which yes, is very rare. It is and very rare. Not a lot known about it. So tell me a little bit about that 
about the beginnings of this? Sure, sure. Well, uh, my wife and I uh, actually went to high school together. Um, didn't date till after college, but we're, we're, we're familiar to each other, and so we go back a long ways. And um, when we got married uh, in the 90s, we were living up at Sugarloaf and thought that it was going to be a great place to start and raise a family. And uh, when uh, Scotty came along, uh, we were surprised to learn at first uh, it was a cardiac issue that he was born with, an issue called Tetralogy of Fallot, which means essentially he had four things wrong with his heart. And uh, he was born in Farmington. And immediately uh, we were transported down to Main Med, um, which has one of the most amazing uh, cardiac units in the country, and, and specifically pediatric uh, cardiac uh, professionals in the country are based there and uh, he had uh, heart surgery at five days old um, and another full bigger surgery at about six months old so we were immediately put on this sort of path of the unknown with Scotty and uh, and immediately felt like we were we couldn't be in a better place um, it did mean that we left Sugarloaf and moved down closer to the Portland area to be a little bit closer to the services that he needed then and that we came to realize he'd need long term. But um, there's so much here in this community that we never knew about because we never had reason to access the different programs and organizations that are here. So I love talking about his story and, and the sort of world that opened up to us um, in and having to understand how we could uh, help him reach his full potential as, uh, you know, as our son and as, uh, you know, go going through childhood. And uh, he's 13 now, so we just entered the teenage years, which is a little daunting for, I think, any parent. But uh, we got great support system. Did you know that Scotty had issues before he was born? We didn't. Uh, my wife's pregnancy was completely normal, um, which is fairly typical for Dubowitz um, uh involve children. And uh, the first sign that we had that anything was, was wrong was when she was about a week overdue and went to have a, um, a stress test administered, just what they would normally do for any, uh, any woman who's you know, past her due date and they wanted to make sure everything was okay. And one of the things they realized when they do this test is they're looking for the baby to react in a certain way. And one of those reactions is seeing the heart rate go up and his heart rate was going down, which is the opposite of what they'd like to see. So. So they decided pretty much on the spot that uh, they needed to do a C-section and, and uh, get him born and, and figure out what was going on. And uh, they knew pretty much right away that he was uh, that he had a pretty serious heart issue at play, um, called an ambulance to come up, a pediatric ambulance to come up from Portland to Farmington and pick him up. And uh, it was interesting. We're standing in the, uh, in the um, uh, neonatal unit, which for some re odd reason was just us there that night, which I think is fairly unusual. And uh, he had pretty much every piece of equipment in the room hooked up to him. And uh, Farmington is where my family is from. My, my mom grew up there and her parents grew up there and their parents grew up there. So I go way back in the community there and, and uh, I'm, I'm leaning against the wall looking at Scotty hooked up to all this equipment. And I look over to my right and there's a, a donor plaque uh, for a capital campaign that had happened when they built the hospital or built that part of the hospital. And it said, all the equipment in this room provided by Jim and Barbara Flint. And those are my grandparents. So they were Scotty's great-grandparents. I'm getting sort of emotional as I'm talking about it right now. And it kind of told me right from the start that, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, and it was just one of those moments where it's like you, you look around and go, there is there is something bigger at play here. And 
Um, so, but it, it did have a calming effect, and and uh, we found out the next morning that tetralogy was the diagnosis, and the 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 cardiologist said it's it's a serious condition, but we know how to correct it. We know what to do, um, and we're going to do everything he can we can to make sure he's okay. And and they did. And uh, the heart issue right now is kind of in the background. It's a it's a yearly checkup, but not something that's on our mind uh, on a regular basis. You you almost lost him. I mean this this <laughs> was this was a serious heart issue. It wasn't it was. something small. Yeah, it was. And he spent uh, a couple of weeks in the. Uh, NICU, uh, neonatal intensive care in Portland in the Barbara Bush Children's Hospital. And uh, Dr. Reed Quinn, uh, who is his surgeon, uh, who is pretty well known around the world for some of the work that he's done, um, uh, took great care of him. And there were a couple moments that were tense um, where they were reacting to the situation that Scotty was showing, but uh, we never felt like um, we weren't in the best place that we could be. So, uh, there's a gentleman I, I know through Sugarloaf who knew someone on the board at Children's Hospital, and he told me while we were going through this that if you know you need me to make a call and get you into Children's Hospital in Boston and see whoever you need to see, you just say the word. And I thought about it for a minute and said, you know what, we're really in the right place. Um, we felt so well taken care of, um, and uh, it was very personal. You know, there was a connection that we made with the people there that um, I was afraid if we went to a bigger hospital it might become a little less personal. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, uh, that was a, that was a scary time, but, um, it was also a time of, uh, like I said, it was, um, we just had this feeling that, you know, we were going to get through it. Um, and with the help of family, friends, and a lot of, uh, great professionals, that's, that's the way it worked. We asked you to come in because we want to talk about the Morrison Center mm-hmm. where you are on the board of directors, but when you sat down for your interview this morning, you handed me a piece of paper and you said, so I know we're going to talk about the Morrison Center, but these are all the other organizations that have actually had um, a place in our lives and Scotty's life. So I'm going to read these off because it's very significant. And I think this speaks to this this greater theme of being supported by community. And especially, um, which is especially interesting considering that you have a child who has a fairly rare genetic disorder. So you've listed the Barbara Bush Children's Hospital, the Ronald McDonald House, the Morrison Center, the Greeley School System, S8051, Riding to the Top, Maine Adaptive Sports and Recreation, Maine Special Olympics, the Daring Little League Challenger Division, the Falmouth Adaptive Skate, Special Surfer Nights through Aquaholic Surf Shop, the Center for Therapeutic Recreation, the Pine Tree Camp and the Pine Tree Society, and Root for Me. That is, you've got a lot of people on your team. We sure do. And we feel so blessed that we have access to all of those different organizations and the programming and services they offer. Because like I said earlier, unless you have to access them, they kind of fly under the radar a lot of the time. And I think for the greater population that looks at us and says, wow, you guys are really amazing for all the things you do for Scotty. And, uh, and I'd love to have that compliment, but the way I look at it is we're just parents seeking out everything that we can do to help our our child be the best that he can be or 
reach his full potential. And I see people like my brother who's got three young girls and uh, all the work that he and his wife have to do to provide for them and make sure they get everything they need to reach their full potential. And for me, it's no different. Um, it's, it's different in terms of the things that we do may be a little bit different and our experience may be not typical, but, uh, the, de- the devotion and the dedication that it takes to be a good parent, I think is, uh, I, I think is pretty much the same across the board. And I think you get out what you put into it and your kids will get out of, uh, in their lives, what you put into it as parents. So. So and I and I'm the first to say it, it for us it takes a village and without the the people and the organizations you just listed and, and the friends and family that support us on a regular basis um, it would it'd be a lot different that's for sure. Dubowitz syndrome it's something that um, I'm a, I'm a I'm a family practice doctor trained mm-hmm. in preventive medicine so I take care of children and I've taken care of children at the Barbara Bush Children's Hospital and. And I've not heard of this. And this is this is a rare autosomal recessive genetic disorder, causes developmental de- delays. It's it's just something that's that there's not that much known about. How do you in a kind of a this is this is a culture where we like to get some information and then mm-hmm. act on it and do something with it, but this really is a big unknown. It is, and um, when Scotty was born, there were less than 300 diagnosed cases worldwide of Dubowitz syndrome. So there wasn't a lot of uh, knowledge base to draw on. And, and in the years since, it's become a little bit more organized and there's been a little bit more uh, of an effort uh, to understand Dubowitz uh, better. And uh, we've worked with three different geneticists over the past 13 years, two here in Portland, both happen to be named uh, Smith. Uh, and then a doctor down in uh, Boston who's affiliated with Children's Hospital who does a regular Dubowitz clinic on an annual basis. And for us, that was really valuable because it, it allowed us to go. Uh, and he, he schedules appointments in one day, so he'll have a half a dozen or eight or ten appointments with Dubowitz uh, patients and their families. But we all we all get there in the morning, so we have time to spend with each other and meet each other's kids and hear each other's stories. And the one thing that I, I learned very early about Dubwitz through that experience is that it's it's not um, there's there's a lot of variability in terms of what some of the these kids and and people that have been diagnosed with Dubwitz have had to deal with, both from a developmental standpoint as well as a medical standpoint. And Scotty's place on that spectrum is a little bit more involved from a um, from a developmental standpoint in terms of he's not quite as, uh, his, his, his developmental issues are more profound than a lot of the Dubowitz kids that we met, but his medical issues, uh, the heart issue notwithstanding, but his ongoing medical issues are not nearly as profound as some of the others. So, um, so there is a little bit of a range, and the geneticist has told us that his belief is down the road that Dubowitz will probably cease to exist as a diagnosis and be broken out into a number of other sub-diagnosis um, I guess I equate it similar to there's the autism spectrum, um, and there may be the Dubowitz spectrum that, as more becomes known, may be broken down into different uh, diagnoses. Um, but for now, it's um, it, it's it's a diagnosis that allows us to say what his diagnosis is. But in terms of a practical sense on a day-to-day basis, it really doesn't impact us greatly because we're more tuned into you know, what we're doing on a regular basis and what we're doing day to day. And, and uh, we just had an IEP meeting with him yesterday at his school. And I looked around the table and there were 12 
people at the table as part of his team at uh, at the Greeley Middle School. And they're so amazingly dedicated to what they do and, and to Scotty that I don't think the word Dubowitz came up once. It's much more, you know, focused on him and where where his progress has been in the last year and where we're going to try to make more progress in the next year. So, um so the diagnosis is important from a medical standpoint and, and participating in studies and trying to understand more about that uh, is something we want to continue to do. But um, that's, for me, more in the background. It's more about, you know, what, what's going on today. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm a solid lacrosse player, a good listener. I certainly have a head for finance and understanding of the human condition, but I'm hardly an expert at everything. No one is. I've learned over the years that if I can't do something, I have a network of friends, family, advisors, people who are there to lend me a hand. I lean on them to help me, and when they need help, I'm there for them as well. My skills and talents, like theirs, are a currency, and I spend it by helping. It's transactional and very rewarding. It's not unlike the relationship a lot of us have with our money. When we spend it for the betterment of others, it feels good. But getting to a place where you can feel that way is an evolution. You have to understand the steps you need to take in order to evolve. But if you don't think you have the skills to do it on your own, I know someone who can help. And we'd love to help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. As part of trying to understand what Dubowitz syndrome or is or what it might become, you've actually done genetic sequencing. Um, your wife, Lisa, was the second female ever sequenced after Glenn Close. That's our understanding. And yeah. you worked with the Jackson Lab. We did. Well, the, we did. Uh, we at Thomas Moser had been doing some work with the Jackson Lab, um, assisting in their development efforts. And, and uh, I came to know some people there. And one of the things uh, that someone was kind enough to do is talk to some of the scientists there about Dubowitz syndrome and would there be an opportunity for the Jackson Labs to have a research project uh, around Dubowitz syndrome. And at the time, uh, the feedback was that not enough was known about Dubowitz syndrome. And the point at which Jackson Labs would become involved with uh, researching a condition like that is um, they would have to have some baseline understanding of the genetic cause of Dubowitz syndrome, which, which did not exist yet. And it was probably about a year after that that the um, 
through Children's Hospital, we, we became invited to participate in a study at the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, where they were using genetic sequencing to try to determine the genetic cause of rare syndromes that had been undiagnosed or un, uh, where they didn't know what that genetic cause was. Um, and the light bulb went off is, for me is that that's what the Jackson Labs needs. So there is an opportunity, I hope, down the road uh, to have the Jackson Labs be, play an active role in understanding more about Dubowitz syndrome. The study is still ongoing. Uh, we were sequenced uh, at NIH in 2010, all three of us, uh, with about a dozen other uh, families with a, di- with a Dubowitz diagnosis in the family. And uh, what they explained to me at the time was doing the sequencing now has gotten to the point where that can happen in a matter of a week or days. Um, but, and that generates a map uh, of the DNA for each of us in the study. But reading the maps and comparing the maps is what takes a lot of time. Uh, so they're still, still working on it. And uh, hopefully at some point uh, they'll have some great information that, to share with us and, and other scientists that might become involved in, in researching Dubwood syndrome. It strikes me that um, there are some people who have children that have issues or let's call them special needs, mm-hmm. and maybe they're not as comfortable with being out in the world with their kids. You know, maybe there may be even a sense of personal responsibility for something that they've maybe they feel like they've done, even though it's not completely rational, but yeah. I think that this does happen. Sure. I don't see that. I see you and Scotty and Lisa kind of mm-hmm. being as much out in the world as you possibly can be. Yeah. I mean, there's does there ever been any problems with feeling that Scotty might be labeled or that he might be seen differently? Or was there ever any, ever any question that you were going to be out there living as fully as possible? I think at first there may have been. Um, going back to my experiences, you know, 30-something years ago in, in grade school, and uh, I can remember very vividly in my head some experiences that happened uh, with special needs kids that were in the school uh, that I went to that, um, as I look back on it, were quite frankly appalling in terms of the way they were treated, the way they were labeled, the way they were kind of cast aside, not only by the, the kids who, you know, probably didn't know any better, but by the the, the school. And, and they're just they just weren't equipped to understand or handle the special needs that they had. And um, so the Morrison Center uh, was the first place that really sort of took that fear away for us. Um, They're so empowering there, and they're so uh, inclusive of the family in their programs and their this, their uh, educational programs that we were involved with, their pre- preschool program, um, that they made us feel so comfortable about who he was. And, and it became pretty clear at that time, too, that Scotty was a very social little boy. He really thrived on interaction with people. And even though he's nonverbal um, and has, uh, you know, obviously com- communication challenges, he communicates with his emotions. He, he's, he's, he's got his own sort of communication style that... And he, he has this ability to light up a room. So he loves to be around people. The more people are around, the more he sort of gets animated and, and really... Um, likes to interact with everyone. So, uh, but the transition from Morrison Center uh, after a few years being there and being so comfortable there uh, into the public schools was a little daunting as I started to recall my childhood experiences and, and around special needs kids in the public schools uh, where I grew up in Massachusetts. And uh, within the first week, I'd say all those sort of fears melted away um, and it became clear to me how much had changed. 
uh, in the 30 years uh, plus since I was that age. And um, we had uh, not only from the school system the kind of support that I didn't really expect. I mean, they, they actually came to Morrison Center to observe Scotty um, the spring before he was being enrolled in kindergarten, and I just didn't expect that to happen. Um, so I could tell right away how dedicated and involved they'd be in making sure they tailored uh, their programs to make sure Scotty could participate fully and, and get the most out of it. Um, and then when he actually started in the schools, you know, I was, I was quite naturally afraid of or fearful of what the other kids might say or do or, um, and, and we started getting calls from other parents that first week and telling us how grateful they were that Scotty was in their kid's class because of how much they were going to learn from him. Um, I don't think it's a big secret that Maine's not the most diverse state in the country. Um, it's probably one of the least diverse states in the country. So uh, in a lot of cases, interaction with kids like Scotty is the first chance that a lot of kids his age have to experience diversity in some way. Um, so it became pretty clear early on that it was going to be a much different environment for him. And, and so, and naturally as a, someone who's a marketing, uh, person and has been doing that, you know, for the, for most of my career, if not all of it, um, and his outgoing nature, it, it became, uh, almost my wife and I kind of look at each other and say, yeah, he's, he's here to teach people. He's here to kind of show, shine the light in a very positive way on, uh, uh, kids and people that are, are like him and, and maybe not like everybody else and what they can bring to the table as opposed to what they can't bring to the table. Um, so we've embraced that all along. Um, my wife likes to be behind the scenes a little bit more. So I tend to be, uh, the one who's, uh, out there a bit more, but, um, you know, Scotty loves to be out and about. He's had the opportunity to be on, on TV shows and in the paper. And, uh, we did a, we did a, uh, campaign ad for Les Otten, who founded uh, what was called uh, Maine Handicap Skiing, is now Maine Adaptive Sports and Rec as they've evolved. Uh, but uh, he asked us if we would share our experience working with that organization. And um, as much as I maybe hesitated to, to get involved in a political campaign, for me, it was as much a PSA for Maine Adaptive and Maine Handicap Skiing at the time. That um, And Scotty loved it. Every time that commercial came on the television, his head would whip around, and he'd get animated, and uh, you know he became a little bit of a celebrity at school. Uh, not that everyone didn't know him already, but he loves to give high fives and fist bumps, and uh, so that had a whole flurry of that activity going on too. So, so I take my cues from him a lot of the time, and it's kind of a natural extension of who he is, and I guess who we are to spread the word and, and, uh, help people if we can, uh, either by sharing information about the organizations that we've benefited from or just telling our story and maybe encouraging other people to, um, not, not be fearful and know that, um, people are, people want to help people generally, genuinely want to, to help and, and be involved. And, um, to me, that's, you know, that's what Maine is all about. That's why I love living here. As a father, what are your hopes for Scotty in the future? I mean, he's he's 13, but yeah. we, I have a 12-year-old and another couple kids who are older, and I know that we all think about where our kids yeah. might end up, or what the type of people they might end up being. Sure, sure, yeah. It's a, 
it is a little daunting to think too far into the future. Um, I, I kind of have the sense that our hardest days are probably ahead of us as he gets bigger and, and becomes an adult. And uh, we do know that he's probably got another heart surgery in his future. Um, the, the correction he had for Dubowitz syndrome, uh, is a pretty common side effect of that surgery is that a valve is impacted in a way that uh, it will have to be replaced at some point down the road. So he's got a heart valve that'll probably need a replacement. Um, so that, you know, that's a little daunting. Um, so I, I kind of look at the future as a big unknown. My wife and I have pretty much accepted that, um, you know, he'll be with us for as long as we can physically uh, care for him. And we want that. Uh, we don't have any interest in, in letting someone else do that. Um, to me, that's, 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 our, that's who we are as a family. So um, hopefully uh, we all live long enough lives that at some point we've got to figure out another plan. Uh, as my wife and I uh, get to the point physically someday, we may not be able to do it all ourselves, but uh, hopefully that's a long ways off. And uh, so I try not to think about it in specific terms. I try to think it, about it more generally and broadly that um, he's making progress all the time. Uh, it's at his own pace, but um, every time we meet with the, the team he has at school or see people that we haven't seen in a long time who, who maybe hadn't seen Scotty in a year or more, and they remark about how far he's come and how much he's changed and how much he's matured and grown. And um, So that's kind of the way I look at it is we just want to continue making that progress, give him every opportunity to excel at all the things that he does and 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 help us understand what he wants to do to the extent that he can um, and just keep pointing in that direction. So um, so it's a little bit of, of an unknown, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's something that we're committed to. So, Scott, I know that people who are listening will want to learn more about many of the organizations that we discussed in the beginning of the show, but specifically, I think, the Morrison Center. So how can people do that? Uh, they can go online. Um, just Google Morrison Center, Maine, uh, Morrison, MorrisonCenterMaine.org. Um, in fact, there's a, a beautiful new website that's in the progress of being created and, and hopefully will be online soon. Um, the campus is in Scarborough. Um, for a long time, the Morrison Center was based in Portland, um, right in a building that's kind of right next to Martins Point Healthcare, uh, right at that bridge there. And, and that was its home for the better part of four decades, I believe. It was known as the Cerebral Palsy Center when it first started. And uh, and Betty Morrison, who was a driving force there, who the center is now named for, uh, I never got to meet her, unfortunately. She had passed by the time I got involved with the center. But um, many people that did know her have uh, shared a, a lot of wonderful stories about her. And I think the center reflects a lot of the values that she had in, in terms of, and it's kind of what I was just talking about, in, in helping people of all abilities find their uh, their abilities uh, that they have in them and, and empower them to be uh, everything that they can be. And there's a very wide range of, of um, abilities and disabilities of the, of the consumers and, and the people who uh, utilize the Morrison Center services, uh, which do range from uh, preschool uh, through adulthood. Um, they have not only school-based programs and teaching programs, but employment programs. Um, so there's, uh, we do see the Morrison Center in our future as well uh, with Scotty uh, as he uh, gets through the school system and graduates uh, from high school uh, in five or six years or so. 
that uh, the programs of the Morrison Center could be exactly what he needs to sort of take that next step and continue moving forward. So the campus in Scarborough was was built in uh, 2007 and 2008, so it's been four or five years now. It's a beautiful facility. It's state-of-the-art facility, uh, and a new facility is just o- opened in York as well. So um, there's certainly no shortage of need uh, for the services that the Morrison Center offers, and there's a number of great organizations that offer similar programs, but I think the, the Morrison Center uh, team there uh, and the staff is, um, you know, second to none. And uh, and that's really, for us, uh, when we went to the Morrison Center, it was, the facility was not very impressive at all. It was the people that, that made the difference there. Um, not only the people that were uh, running the programs and the and the staff, but the other the other consumers that we got to know, the families that we got to know. So it was a it was a hub of human activity in the physical space. While maybe not giving a great first impression, was easily overcome. But now they've got the whole package. They've got an amazing physical plant that I think takes a lot of. Um, it opens the doors for the staff to really not have to think about uh, where they're doing what they do. They can really focus on what on what they're doing, and they have access to. You know, to technology and to space and to equipment um, that uh, that really allows them to uh, service all kinds of uh, of people of all ages. Scott, thank you for the work you do with the Morrison Center and for bringing Scotty into the world. Thank you and Lisa, because obviously he is a, I would say, an ambassador, an ambassador of light, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's the kind of the way we look at it. I think. And I encourage people who are listening who would like to find out more about the Morrison Center to Google the website and yep. learn more and perhaps donate and, um, you know, somehow contribute to the efforts because this, even it may seem as though this is something that impacts a small number of people, but as you've shown, even through your experience with Scotty, it, it usually has a much broader reach than we realize. Thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. I can't imagine that I will ever be an artist. While I appreciate all kinds of art, I know that creating it is just something I'm not able to do. I don't have that kind of talent, and I find myself in awe of the people who do. Realizing that all of us have different and unique abilities and that we can't be good at everything is a tough thing to admit. It's a lesson I teach my children, but it's a lesson we all need to remind ourselves of as adults. Recognizing your strengths and talents early are keys to happiness and success. And leveraging those talents that others have is another key to a success. So while I may never have a gallery exhibition of my artwork, I find great joy in knowing that what I and my entire team have is the talent to help businesses run better. We are the leverage an entrepreneur needs to be successful. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, sea bags 
designs and manufactures bags, totes and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport, or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. People who are listening today may not even be aware of the great resource we have in the state of Maine called the Morrison Center. So we've brought somebody in to talk to us about the Morrison Center, um, that, and this is Charlie McBrady, who is the Director of Business Development with Zakow Construction, and also serves on the board and is the president of the Morrison Development Center. Thanks for coming in and talking to us today. Thank you for inviting me. You've been in Maine a long time. Yeah. You graduated from the University of Maine. You live in Falmouth with your three kids yeah. these days. Um, so you've, you've known the landscape. But you didn't know that much about what was then called the Cerebral Palsy Center. That's correct. This was something that became important to you because of um, your son, Kyle. That's right. Yeah, the Cerebral Palsy Center was on, used to be on Veranda Street. And it was there about 40 years. And it was in an old military um, hospital, right where Martins Point is now. And about two miles from my house. And I still didn't know anything about it um, until my youngest son, Kyle, was diagnosed with a learning disorder, which we weren't sure if it was autism, MR, combination of things. And so we looked at different services around Greater Portland and went to the Morrison Center as one of them to see if that would be a good fit for our family. Kyla is your youngest. He's 15 now and is at the Falmouth Public Schools, Falmouth High School. Um, But when you first were trying to understand what was going on with him, this must have been quite a, an interesting situation for you. Well, it was. It was um, I, mean, I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he was old enough to be in one of those car carrier snap-in, snap-out car seats. And my wife Jennifer and I went to, um, to, to interview there to see if it would be a fit for Kyle because we still didn't really know his diagnosis. And the old center had a, a greenhouse that a bunch of guys built um, probably back in the 70s through donations that the, the adults that at go to the center um, would grow plants and poinsettias at Christmas um, to the general public. It was an older greenhouse at the time I was there, but back when it started, it was sort of a state-of-the-art type of thing. And when you go into the old center, you'd go into the adult program first, which was the greenhouse, um, some community service people, um, and the consumers that go, went there we were in basically in this antiquated lobby. So as a young parent with a young kid, not knowing what your future holds, it was kind of a shock, you know, into your system, thinking, oh, my God, this is my life, you know, and not knowing what that meant. So that was a tough, that was a tough day. Um, and as we walked through the halls of the Morrison Center, we got down to the preschool, we got to the, oh, to the cerebral palsy center, we got to the preschool area and interviewed with the teachers. And for some reason, you could sense that even though the building was in disrepair for the most part. Um, we were shocked at the entrance. You could tell that there was a spirit there and the teachers had a dedication to it. So we ended up enrolling Kyle um, into the CP Center at the time and he went there for a couple of years before he went to public school. It is interesting to um, think about the historical reasons for 
needing a, a, a cerebral palsy center, which has sort of morphed into the Morrison Developmental exactly. Center. Um, when you were trying to figure out what was going on with Kyle, it must have been very, um, well, a whole new world for you and Jennifer. You had two other children who didn't have this sort of issue, and all of a sudden there's some undefined diagnosis that you're kind of chasing around that you didn't even realize was on your horizon. Right, that's exactly right. And we had uh, we didn't know where to go, what to do. And unfortunately, like most things in life, when you know once you go through it, then you wish you could write a book about it because, or there was a handbook for you when you were at that stage because you're just learning through your own experiences. And of course, all those kids are different too. Um, but there was something about the center. We knew that no matter what, we're in good hands there. And, um, you know, that somehow it was all going to work out. So the Morrison Center, you've described um, the preschool that Kyle was in. Mm-hmm. But it's actually something that is available to people of all ages, really. Right. Well, the Cerebral Palsy Center um, really deals with mostly with people with multiple disabilities that can't go ma- be mainstreamed into the public school system. Um, but the preschool is different in that we have run an integrated pr- program with typical and handicapped children, even back then, and which is great because you go into story time and you may not even know who's the one with a handicap and who's not. So, and that was um, sort of cutting edge back, I think, um, back when he first went in there where you were doing this integration for preschool. And it was great because a lot of parents could drop both of their kids off, you know, at the school or at the center, or if one was older in the program and the and their typical brother or sister um, needed to go to preschool, a parent was able to go there. And it was it's also great, even though the facility itself was sort of old and run down, we had all the therapies that you needed there under one roof. Even though um, it wasn't perfect, we didn't we didn't have parents having to take their kid out from some typical program to go to physical therapy or OT or speech. We had all everybody under one roof, which and we had our own nurse. So even though the facility was not um, up to par, the, the staff certainly was, and the programs were. Kyle now goes to Falmouth High School. Yeah. But you've remained very involved with the Morrison Center. Yeah. Why is that? Um, when Kyle left the Cerebral Palsy Center, about two years after, I got a phone call, um, and somebody wanted to have breakfast with me, so I figured something was up. And I got talked into getting on the board, which... I was all about it, you know, giving back. Um, you have to remember, this is a center that never asked anybody for money. It never had a capital campaign. It never had an annual campaign. It just kind of went under the radar with the most involved people in the community. And so it was a great place. No one knew about it, and it didn't have a lot of support. So I thought this would be a good thing to get involved in. So I got on the board there, and then over the years, um, we didn't have all kids with cerebral palsy. We had this mystique that that's what it was. It really wasn't. It, we had people with CP. We had people with many different diagnoses, autism, MR, um, a lot of kids with multiple diagnoses. So we decided that we needed to rebrand. We knew that we, had to, we were growing out of the facility, which was a two-story building with hallways that certain wheelchairs that people needed to work on couldn't use. So we changed the name of the company, uh, the, the business, the center, to the um, the Morrison Center after Betty Morrison, who was the executive director forever, who ran the place like on a shoestring, and did a great job with what she had at the time. Um, but we knew we needed to change, and we wanted to get away from the thought that we were just we just dealt with people with cerebral palsy because that's not that wasn't the case. So we changed the name, and we decided that we we're going to do a um, capital campaign 
the first time in history to acquire some land and build the building. And so it was kind of an exciting time to get on the board, actually. And, um, um, and so I was on the capital campaign committee and also the, the uh, building committee to build our new facility. And that facility is in Scarborough now. It is. It's on Chamberlain Road. It's probably five to six years old now. Um, it's a 30,000-square-foot building with not just one but two greenhouses that are state-of-the-art, um, for us at least. Uh, we have a multi-purpose room. We have um, classroom wings. We have a preschool wing. Um, and then we have a school-aged wing. And then we have an adult wing. And in the adult wing, it also encompasses the greenhouses and community service programs for adults. And it even comes with a kitchen so they can work on cooking skills and things like that. Why has it been important for you to have greenhouses in your new facility? I know you had them in your other one. But what's the tie-in? Well, one, the greenhouse that we had wasn't going to be big enough. And we decided if we're going to do it, we, we really should have two so we can transition certain plants into other areas. Um, a lot of the consumers that work in the greenhouses work in there several hours a week, and when they sell product to the public, they're, they're scanned with a barcode, and they actually receive a paycheck for what they make. And some people might spend hours potting up one plant because of their disability or whatever, but it's their goal to go in there, and they're proud of it, and they're proud of the payday. And, and we figured if we had two nice greenhouses in this setting that we we're going to, we would have more community integration. People would come in. In the wintertime, we sell poinsettias, and because of the population that we have, we don't use any pesticides at all in our greenhouse. So it's all, we introduce good bugs to eat bad bugs, and it's totally healthy, and our poinsettias are beautiful. Um, you know, they're safe for cats, and uh, so it's a good thing for us. It's a beautiful place to go in the wintertime. Uh, we have a Christmas sale there, and it's really helped the Morrison Center get on the map with the general public. So if we talk about it, more and more people are hearing about what we do, and it just translates into having a stronger program for people that really have the most needs. So the, the adults that are part of the Morrison Center, the Cerebral Palsy Center, they actually work in the greenhouses? Yeah, many work in the greenhouse, or we have a um, craft room where they do different crafts that we have craft sales for. And it's important, um, one important thing about it was when we moved into the new center, we didn't realize that this was going to happen, but the old center was sort of you drive by it. I drove by it for many, many years, not even knowing it was there. Um, I may have bought a Christmas tree or two from there, but never really understood what they did there. Um, the new center, particularly with the adults, it was a hard transition for them because they went from a kind of a quiet place where they were safe in their environment with their peers and teachers that they knew and therapists that they knew to a bright building, a beautiful building. Um, where all of a sudden you had some people from the communities coming in to buy plants. And it looked more like um, a beautiful school. And I think for some of the adults, they had a hard time with that, actually, because it brought back memories of when they were younger and maybe things weren't so good. Um, and slowly but surely, that transition has changed. And if you go in there now, you'll be greeted at the door by consumers. You'll probably get a hug or two. And to me, that was probably the most striking thing actually. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. A world lives within you. No one else can bring you news of this inner world. That's something by John O'Donohue and Anam Kara. 
that struck me particularly strongly the other day when I was reading this book. I create places in the landscape that are looks within places, places where deep introspection calls to you. I also create spaces that are looks without places. They're places of projection. And as you look out into the landscape from a particular place, it's all about what can be in my life. Where am I going? What's ahead of me? I try to honor the spirit of the land and the spirit of the human being that inhabits that land and try to really create spaces that allow you both of those perspectives. They're quite different, and it's part of the human journey. And I think that the land and the landscape can really honor that journey through careful placement and careful consideration. You, too, can have a landscape that really speaks to who you really are and what you really want in this world. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Travis Boyer of Premier Sports, a division of Black Bear Medical. At Black Bear Medical, our priority is to find solutions for all our customers. But we take exceptional pride in the work we do with our customers who have extreme life challenges. Our rehab department and service department provide wheelchairs and other adaptive devices to make life more manageable for those with a disability. Our service department installs accessibility products in your home, such as stair lifts, vertical lifts, and ramps. Our job at Black Bear Medical is to help people live life to the best of their ability. So whether you are disabled or having some difficulty in the golden years, we at Black Bear Medical can help the differently abled level the playing field. Visit blackbearmedical.com or stop by our retail locations in Portland and Bangor to see how we do it. It hasn't been an easy time for you personally. You've gone through, you've had, um, an, you had an accident last year. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, well, I don't know. Are you willing to talk about yeah, this? Yeah, it was a freak accident. I was, uh, I owned a company that I sold and um, I used to take Kyle out on weekends to drive a forklift and probably doesn't sound very safe for a 15 year old autistic boy but he liked it and it, we had it down pat we had done it a thousand times and when before I sold everything off I took him out one last time to drive the forklift and he got on the forklift and um, turned it on like he knew he could I knew he could and he'd never been able to put it in gear well me I walked around to the back of the forklift and he ha- happened to put it in gear this one time and stepped on the gas and crushed me against a wall or a doorway actually and so I ended up breaking my pelvis in four places and my back in one and had to go to the hospital, obviously, that day and kind of put a little interesting twist on our winter last year. You know, but he, liked the, he liked the fire trucks and the ambulances showing up, though. He kind of thought that was kind of neat. But, but everything worked out fine. And I didn't have an operation, and I just was laid up for most of the winter. But that, that actually, the way that you're describing it says something to me. It says, you know, that you have this willingness in your life to see things in a way that kind of moves you forward in a positive direction, you know, whether it's Kyle having a diagnosis you didn't expect or getting into an accident that you didn't expect. You just seem able to kind of deal with what you need to deal with and move on. Yeah, I think um, everything happens for a reason. So, you know, you just take it one day at a time and, um, you know, thank God I wasn't hurt worse and I had family to support me and um, my family and 
we kind of just put our heads down and got through it. And I think, you know, it's diversity and, you know, adversity. And my oldest two kids have grown up with it and they get it. And so I think it's been a good lesson for a lot of people that um, Kyle's been, you know, in their lives, friends of ours, family. And um, it's, it's, it's actually a, a true blessing. And, uh, you know, it makes you just kind of take stock in what's important. You've been able now to expand the services of the Morrison Center um, from Cumberland County down into York County, and that's that's a big deal for you. It is. We um, we had just moved into Scarborough, and, and for 40 years they hadn't done anything, and all of a sudden we have this new facility, and we're talking about expanding, and half the board's like, listen, we would do really well with what we've got here. And the other half of the board's sort of like, you know, it's not fair that a you know five-year-old with a feeding tube has to get in a school bus every day and drive from... Kennebunk or Berwick or the border of New Hampshire to Scarborough every day, particularly in the winter, but year-round, to get services. And um, the state's been kind of pushing us lately to, to see if we would be willing to expand our program. And we thought about it long and hard, um, you know, with all the things that are going on with the state of Maine and funding. It's, it was a difficult decision, but we finally decided that we were going to acquire a building in Wells, which we did, and we renovated it this summer and opened up a smaller 6,000-square-foot um, school. And we have a preschool program that's already full. It's 15 kids. We've got a, a school-age program there and an adult program that's starting with a beautiful kitchen, just like the one we have in Scarborough, um, on an eight-acre campus. So maybe there's room for expansion down the road because it clearly it's a beautiful building. We turned a restaurant into a school. It looks wonderful. But it's not going to be big enough, I don't think. And so someday down the road, we'll probably try to do something with that. But I think right now we're going to just enjoy what we've got, you know, and the services that we're providing. It sounds like one of the most important things um, through all of this has been the people that have been there to support you, to support um, Kyle when he went to school there. Um, to support the people that still go to school there, support the children. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like this is, it takes a very special person to have that sort of flexibility and openness and desire to help. Yeah. It's funny, we just had our grand opening in Wells, and one thing that struck me and struck some people that I invited down that don't know a lot about Morrison is that we got the staff, I mean, some of the staff was from Scarborough, but primarily we hired all new staff down there. And they're so energetic, and they're so grateful to have a nice facility to work in with these, this population because they don't really have that opportunity in, in many different facilities. And that helps a lot, you know, and for the jobs. And, you know, it is the staff. It is the people. And we have a board of directors that um, goes to board meetings because they really are passionate about it. It's not a resume builder by any means, but we've got some great people um, that quietly go about it and, and do what which needs to be done for this population. It's not a huge organization. Um, it certainly is big enough and, um, and growing, but it's, um, it's all about these individuals that belong in the community that we're proud of and are growing every day. So, so we're lucky to have great staff. We're lucky to have a great board. But really, when you go to these centers and you watch what goes on, it's very clear why everyone's, why everyone's there. It's interesting to hear you describe other people as being so quietly supportive and going about their business because when you came in you said well I don't even know what you know what are we going to talk about as mm-hmm. if maybe you didn't have an interesting story to share yourself 
Does this just feel so normal to you in your own life that it doesn't feel like it's as interesting as perhaps other people might find it? Um, I think so. I think um, I think everybody's got a story to tell, you know, but when you're living your life, you you don't really think it's anything special or anything different, you know, and every now and then you might notice that maybe you have maybe a, someone might have a few more bumps in the road than others, but really it's what I know. It's all I know. And, you know, we're surrounded by these wonderful people. And I'm always amazed at like board members, for instance, that don't have um, any immediate family with disabilities that are so dedicated because they see it. And I think that they're just feeling like, you know, how lucky am I that I don't have the struggles every morning, you know, every single morning that some people do. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think my story is anything special, really. It's just, uh, you know, we just we do what we need to do, and you know, we're not given anything that we can't handle. I don't think so. So I guess that's what I think. For people who are interested in either donating to the Morrison Center, or maybe they have a family member, or a loved one that might benefit from services at the Morrison Center, how do people find out about well, the organization? We're um, we're online. Um, if you just Google the Morrison Developmental Center or the Morrison Center, um, it'll pop right up. We've been speaking with Charlie McBrady, who is the Director of Business Development with Zakow Construction. But for the purposes of this interview, more importantly, the president of the Morrison Developmental Center uh, and father of Kyle, um, husband to Jennifer and father to Ian and... Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. Um, I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I think you are a very, you're just as you've described, quietly going about your life, but I think the world is probably a little better for having you in it. Well, thank you. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 122, Differently Abled. Our guests have included Scott Wenzel and Charlie McBrady. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. Also, in the March issue of Maine Magazine, you will find my profile of Scotty Wenzel and his family. I hope you take the time to look at this and enjoy it. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For our preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle. I hope that you have enjoyed our Differently Abled show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Sea Bags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter, Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Our online producer is Katie Kelleher. 
Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org.